Section 9 of the Cambridge Modern History, Volume 2, The Reformation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 3, Hasburg and Valois II, by Stanley Leeds, Part 1. After the Treaty of Cambrai and the Conference of Bologna, the interest of European history shifts its centre to Germany. Charles's efforts in the south were chiefly devoted to the preservation of the existing equilibrium in Italy, to resisting the continuous advance of Muslim power in the Mediterranean, and to the restoration of some degree of prosperity to the shattered homes of Italy. His main attention was centered on the religious question in Germany, and the maintenance of Habsburg power on the Danube. France was still a chronic menace, but the wars were neither so frequent nor so dangerous as they had been from 1522 to 1529. The death of Margaret of Savoy, December 1st, 1530, who had governed the Netherlands during Charles's minority, 1507 to 1515, and again with intervals from 1517 until her death, made another break with the past. Margaret had been the confidante and intimate adviser of her father Maximilian, and, although for a time after his accession in the Netherlands, Charles had been estranged from her, he soon discovered her worth and relied on her as on another self. She was perhaps the most capable woman of her time, well-versed in all of the arts of politics and diplomacy, a friend of letters and of art, but under her rule, the authority of her nephew over the Burgundian states had sensibly increased, though the prosperity of the provinces had not shown a corresponding advance. He was fortunate in finding in the circle of his own family another woman, perhaps less gifted, but well-competent to take her place and carry on her policy. Her sister, Maria, the widow of the unfortunate king of Hungary who fell at Mohacs, was persuaded to undertake the task for which she had shown her capacity in the troubles which followed the death of her husband Louis, and she entered upon the duties of her office in 1531. Her government was strengthened by the new ordinance establishing three councils in the Netherlands for foreign affairs, justice, and finance. Shortly before, Charles had procured the election of his brother, the Archduke Ferdinand, to the dignity of the King of the Romans, and he could therefore regard the relations of his house to Germany and the Netherlands as satisfactorily established. But his other European concerns gave him grave cause for anxiety. Henry VIII had been brought into marked hostility with Charles by the affair of the divorce. Francis was ever on the lookout for opportunities of reversing the decisions of Cambrai. Clement was perplexed by the demand of a general council. Irritated by the appointment of Cardinal of Colonna, his enemy, as governor of Naples, and aggrieved by the award of Reggio and Modena to the Duke of Ferrara, April 21st, 1531. Charles' earnest desire for joint action against the Turks was thwarted by the scarcely concealed hostility of Francis and the more secret maneuvering of the Pope. On June 9th, 1531, Clement concluded an agreement for the marriage of Catherine de Medici to Henry, Duke of Orleans, second son of Francis, with secret articles binding the Pope to assist France in the recovery of Milan and Genoa. The German antagonists of Ferdinand were allied with Francis. The formation of the League of Schmalkalden and the renewed advance of Soliman upon Vienna, July 1532, added further complications, and Charles was in consequence obliged to temporize with the Protestant powers of Germany, August 1532. Aid was sent to Ferdinand not only from Germany but from Italy, which for once enabled Ferdinand to meet the enemy in force. Solomon retired, and Charles had a respite. In the autumn of 1532, Charles was again able to visit Italy. 
Here he found all the states wavering. Venice watched the situation with a cautious eye, well informed of all that was moving in every court, and ready to take any advantage that offered. Milan groaned under the foreign occupation. Mantua and Ferrara were of doubtful fidelity. In Florence, where the old constitution had been abolished in 1532 in favor of an unmasked autocracy, and in Genoa, where the party of Spinola and Fiesco still were strong, there were powerful political forces working for change. Armed intervention had been necessary at Siena. After a long visit to Mantua, where the famous meeting with Titian took place, Charles met the Pope once more at Bologna in December 1532. Clement managed to avoid the General Council by imposing impossible conditions, and Charles failed to induce him to give up the projected marriage of Catherine with the Duke of Orleans. All that he could secure was the renewal of a defensive league in which Clement, Milan, Ferrara, Mantua, Genoa, Lucca, Siena were all included. Venice alone refused to join even this deceptive league. On April 9th, Charles left Italy for Spain, where his presence had long been eagerly desired. The marriage of Henry with Anne Boleyn, which was solemnized on May 23rd, 1533, now threatened a change in the political situation. But Henry was in close alliance with Francis, and Charles was obliged to accept the insult. And although on July 11th the Pope launched against Henry the Bull of Excommunication, which was not, however, to come into force until October, he was at the same time arranging for a meeting with Francis and preparing to hand over in person his niece to the Duke of Orleans. The meeting took place at Marseille in the October 1533. What matters may have been discussed between these rulers, whether Francis disclosed to the head of Christendom his projected alliance with the Turks is unknown, and matters little, for Clement did not live to see any of their plans carried into execution. But the marriage sets a stamp on his policy and marks it as essentially dynastic, not Italian or ecclesiastical. In order to win a doubtful Milan for his niece, he was ready to expose the peninsula and once more to the terrors of war, terrors of which she had earned bitter and personal experience. The death of the Marquis of Montferrat in 1533 and the entryoffment by Charles of the Duke of Mantua with this frontier state led to hostilities between Saluzzo and Mantua, which shook the unstable equipoise of Italy. The news of the conquest of Peru, 1532, and the welcome arrival of its treasures were items to set on the other side. But the relations between the German Protestants and Francis assumed a more dangerous phase in 1534, when the Habsburgs were driven out of Württemberg. In September, Francis made proposals to Charles which showed that he was meditating the disturbance of peace. A double marriage was to unite the royal houses, but Milan, Asti, and Genoa were to return to France, and the emperor was to give satisfaction to Francis's allies in Germany. The last conditions showed that war was inevitable, but Charles determined to gain time by negotiations until a needful piece of work had been accomplished. For years, the western waters of the Mediterranean had been rendered unsafe by a settlement of Muslim pirates on the north coast of Africa, whose headquarters were at Algiers. In 1518, an expedition from Spain had succeeded in defeating and killing Barbarossa, the founder of this power, but his younger brother, Kher Eddin, who is known as Barbarossa II, had then taken up the command, under the protection of the port, and had still further extended the strength and activity of his robber fleets. A settlement by Charles of the Knights of St. John at Tripoli and Malta, 1530, had been intended to afford a counterpoise to the Muslim, and the war had been waged on both sides, with piracy and rapine. The dangers of this situation concerned Charles above all others. 
Not only had Spain a number of possessions dotted along the African coast, but the coasts of Spain, Naples, and Sicily were especially exposed to the raids of the pirate fleets, and their active commerce were endangered. During the Italian wars, Charles had neither leisure nor spare energy to attend to this peril. But now immediate measures were not only desirable, but possible. The Barbaresques had recently extended their power to Tunis, and in July 1534, emboldened by the unconcealed favour of Francis, who had concluded with them a commercial truce, they had made a raid of unusual extent upon the Italian coast. Barbarossa had also been named by Soliman as Admiral of the Turkish fleet, and although still a pirate, he was a representative of a great power. Charles considered that there might just be time for a blow before he was once more paralyzed by hostilities with France. The winter of 1534 was spent in preparations, and on May 30th, 1535, Charles sailed from Barcelona and was joined by Doria from Genoa in the galleys of Italy and Sicily. Assistance came from Portugal, from the Knights of Malta, from Venice, and other Italian states, and especially from the new Pope, Paul III. The force amounted to 74 galleys, 30 smaller warships, and 300 ships of burden. The attack was directed against Tunis and proved completely successful. Landing at Carthage, the army first won its way into the fortress of Goleta, taking 84 ships and 200 guns, and then, after some hesitation, advanced upon Tunis, defeated the troops of Barbarossa, and, assisted by the rising of some 5,000 Christian slaves, captured the town. The former ruler of Tunis, Muley Hassan, was restored there, the Spaniards retaining Goleta, Bona, and Bizerta. Charles returned in triumph to Sicily, though he had not ventured to attack Algiers. The blow was opportune, for a few months later, February 1536, Francis concluded a treaty with Soliman, with whom he had previously entered into relations in 1525 and 1528. It had another significance for the Moors of Valencia, after their forcible conversion to Christianity ordered in 1525 and executed in the following years, had been in relations with the Muslim in Africa, and many of them had escaped to swell the bands of Barbarossa. Meanwhile, on September 25th, 1534, Clement had died, nowhere regretted unless in France. To him, more than to any other man, is due to the success of the Reformation, as a movement antagonistic to Rome, intent upon dynastic and political interests. He had not only refused persistently to face the question of religion, but he had done as much as any to fetter the only force, except his own, that could have attempted its solution. At his death, all England, Denmark, Sweden, Part of Switzerland and the half of Germany were in revolt, but up to the last of the possession of Florence or Milan was of more account in his eyes than the religious interests of all Christendom. The College of Cardinals, immediately on their meeting, came to the almost unanimous choice of Alessandro Farnese, who took the name of Paul III. He soon showed his proclivities by attempting to take Camerino from Francesco Maria della Rovero, the Duke of Urbino, to give it to his own son, Pier Luigi but the choice of the cardinals was grateful to the emperor, who hoped better things from Farnese than he had ever obtained from Clement, and in particular the summons of a general council. The death of Francesco Sforza, November 1st, 1535, to whom the emperor had in 1534 given his niece Christina of Denmark disturbed the settlement of Milan and threatened the early outbreak of war. Charles seemed to have made up his mind to this, for the demands now made by him on France were provocative rather than conciliatory. He offered the Duchy of Milan not to the Duke of Orleans, but to Charles, Duke of Angoulême, with the hand of Christina of Denmark, 
requiring in return the support of France in the matter of the General Council against the Turks, and in particular against Barbarossa, for the recognition of Ferdinand's election, for the subjection of Hungary against Henry VIII, even in Denmark, Norway, and Sweden. Even Milan was not to be unconditionally given, for the Emperor was to retain the chief places under his own captains, and the Duke of Angoulême was to be deposited in his hands. The position of Charles was strengthened on the one hand by the death of his aunt, Queen Catherine, January 7th, 1536, and on the other hand by the attitude of the Bavarian dukes, who for dynastic reasons now turned more definitely to the imperial side. The Pope maintained neutrality, and his help could only be expected for France if the guilt of aggression could be fastened on the Emperor. The Duchy of Savoy, during the campaigns of the First War, had been at the disposal of the French, and opened for them the easiest path to Italy. But the settlement after the Peace of Cambrai had brought the weak Duke Charles III into the Imperial Defensive League, and his marriage with Beatrice of Portugal in 1521, followed by the marriage of the Emperor with her sister in 1526, formed a permanent link. The first step, therefore, towards Italy required a subjection or adhesion of Savoy, and the somewhat fanciful claims which the King of France put forward to a part of the ducal inheritance can only be regarded as a cover for attack or a pretext for coercion. Charles III was the weaker at this moment, since he had been at war since 1530 with his city of Geneva and early in the year 1536 his hopes of recovering the town were shattered by an expedition of Bern and the Swiss Protestants, which relieved Geneva and overran the territory of Lausanne and the Pays de Vaud. In March 1536, the French invaded Savoy and, in spite of the obstinate resistance of its inhabitants, conquered the whole of Savoy and occupied Turin. The remainder of the fortified places in Piedmont were seized by order of De Leva from Milan, prevent their falling into the hands of the French. Meanwhile, since his landing in Sicily, August 17, 1535, Charles had been devoting his attention to his southern kingdoms. Sicily he now visited for the first time, and he spent ten weeks in considering propositions of reform laid before him by the Parliament, and inspecting the country. Thence he passed into Italy, leaving Ferranta de Gonzaga as viceroy in Sicily and reached Naples on November 25th. Here, Pedro de Toledo had been viceroy since 1532, and had given himself to the restoration of order, the improvement of the city, and the re-establishment and extension of royal power. An attempt which was made to induce Charles to remove him only resulted in strengthening his position, for it soon appeared that the charges against him arose from the stern impartiality of his administration. At Naples, Charles remained four months and a subsidy of a million ducats was voted to him, after a larger offer made in a vainglorious spirit had been wisely refused. That so large a sum could be raised proved the excellent result of Toledo's three years' rule. From Naples, Charles proceeded to Rome, learning on his way that the French had attacked Savoy. He had already begun his preparations for defense in Navarre and Roussillon, and now sent urgent orders to assemble troops and collect money. His presence in Italy, however, was worth an army to his cause. While still in Naples, he had succeeded in securing Venice once more for the defensive league, and after his magnificent entry into Rome on April 5th, 1536, he could hope that personal influence and concessions to the Pope's family ambitions would secure for him at least the neutrality of Rome. Eager, however, to vindicate his honor, he made before the consistory and ambassadors in solemn session a detailed exposition of his case against France and called upon the Pope to decide between them. 
Paul III declared his intention of remaining neutral and yielded at length to long-continued pressure. He issued on May 29th a bull summoning a general council to Mantua for May 1537. The Pope had promised to do his best to reconcile the parties, but as France was determined to accept nothing less than Milan for the Duke of Orleans, and Charles could not, in view of the Dauphin's precarious life, accept his second brother, Henry, whose marriage alliance with the Medici family was another bar, the prospects of successful mediation were poor. But the position in Italy seemed fairly secure, and Henry of England, though an impossible ally for the Emperor, was too busy at home to cause much anxiety. The contest thus confined itself to France, and Charles, who had collected a great army of 50,000 or 60,000 men, was unwilling to consume it in the unpretending task of reconquering Savoy. The invasion of Provence seemed likely to secure the evacuation of Savoy, besides the promise of further gain. Accordingly, on July 25th, 1536, the imperial army, taking advantage of the accession of the Marquis of Saluzzo to the Emperor's side, crossed the French border. But Montmorency, to whom Francis had entrusted the chief command, maintained the strictest defensive. His army was lodged in two fortified camps at Avignon and Valence. The country was systematically devastated, and Charles, though he was able to advance to Aix, found an attack on Marseille or Arles impracticable. Nothing could be less French, and nothing could be more effective than the strategy of Montmorency. On September 13, Charles was obliged to order the retreat. Meanwhile, in the north, the Count of Nassau had conquered Guise and undertaken the siege of Peronne. The war was unpopular in the Netherlands, however. Subsidies were unwillingly granted and the money came in slowly. Peron held out under the vigorous command of Florangis, and at the end of September, Nassau was also forced to retire. In Italy, Leyva was dead, and the prospects of the imperial cause were not promising. The little place of Mirandola, whose ruler, Galeotto Pica, had put himself under the protection of France, was a valuable outpost for the French a base where their troops could find harbour and issue forth to attack the confines of Lombardy. On August 10th, the Dauphin had died, and the offer of Milan to Charles of Angoulême assumed a different aspect. Charles, while negotiating for peace, prepared for war. For this purpose, it was necessary that he should visit Spain to raise the unnecessary funds, leaving many Italian questions unsettled. The Duke of Mantua received the investiture of Montferrat. Del Guasto was appointed to the command in Milan in the place of Leva, but the attitude of the Pope aroused suspicion, and Charles was obliged to depart without having contented him. On November 17th, he left Genoa, but his journey was repeatedly interrupted by storms, while the hostile fleet of French and Turkish galleys lay at Marseille. At length, the fleet was able to make the coast of Catalonia. In Spain, many months and continuous efforts resulted in the raising of sums quite insufficient to meet the pressing needs. Francis, meanwhile, had proclaimed the resumption of the suzerainty of Flanders and Artois, which he had renounced at the Peace of Cambrai, and on March 16, 1537, a considerable army invaded Artois. Hesden surrendered, and Charles of Gelders was once more in arms, but Francis soon grew weary and drew away a large part of his army to the south. The estates of the Netherlands granted for self-defense the sums which they had refused for general purposes, the attack was driven back, and on July 30th, a ten-month armistice was concluded for the Netherlands and the northeastern France. Meanwhile, Del Guasto had held his own in Lombardy, and even won back some places of Piedmont from the enemy. The Turkish assistance had been worth little to the French. 
Even in the Kingdom of Sicily, owing to the energetic measures of defence, Barbarossa had been able to effect little. The Mediterranean War deviated into a contest between Venice and the Moslem. The remaining islands of the Aegean fell into the hands of the Barbaresques. Naplia and Monembeja, the sole strongholds of Venice in the Moria, were besieged by the Turks. The murder of Alessandro de' Medici in Florence, January 7, 1537, strengthened rather than weakened the position of Charles in Italy. In spite of the efforts of the French agents, the imperial fitzgerants had their way. The attack of the Forus City under Filippo Strozzi, though aided by the French, were driven off, and the cool and competent Cosimo became Duke of Florence in the imperial interests, and was married to a daughter of Toledo. Filippo Strozzi was put to torture and died in prison. Paul was won over by the gift of Alessandro's widow Margaret, the emperor's natural daughter, to his grandson Ottavio Farnese, and Piero Luigi, the pope's son, was invested with Novara. On November 8, 1538, a defensive league against the Turk was concluded between the Pope, the Emperor, Ferdinand, and Venice, which prepared the way for a fable intervention of the Pope between the two great powers. However, in October 1537, Montmorency with a new army had appeared in Savoy, and the imperial troops were obliged to evacuate Pinerolo and Turin. But these successes led to nothing further. Both monarchs were ready for peace. An armistice was concluded in November 1537. Negotiations began in earnest, but were long prolonged. So many were the question and issue between the rivals. After the conclusion of the League against the Turks, the Pope left Rome and journeyed to Nice to mediate between Francis and Charles. Here, some ill feeling was aroused because the Duke of Savoy refused to put the fortress of Nice, his last remaining possession, in Charles's hand for the meetings. In a neighboring monastery, Therefore, the emperor and king negotiated personally and separately with the pope, and a truce was arranged for ten years, June 17, 1538, on the basis of Uti Possedetis. The pope and the emperor set forth at once for Genoa to concert operations against the Turk. Although at Nice the king and emperor had refused to meet, it soon became known that a future interview had been arranged, perhaps through the mediation of Queen Eleonora. At Aigues-Mortes, the visits took place on July 14th to 16th, with the most surprising demonstrations of good feeling. Nothing definite was arranged, but hopes of agreement succeeded to something like despair, and Charles was anxious to make the most of the apparent friendship. For the Emperor, the war of 1536-7 to had been on the whole far less successful than those of 1522-29. to Francis had overrun almost the whole of Savoy and Piedmont. He had invaded Artois and successfully repelled two invasions of France. He was content for the present to rest upon his conquests, to hold Savoy, an outpost for defence, a ready road for attack, and to defer the settlement of other outstanding questions for a season. Charles was the more willing to leave Savoy in Francis's possession, because the Duke had offended him deeply in the matter of Nice. On the other hand, he needed peace above all for his affairs in Germany, and to meet the Turkish danger. A long truce with the appearance of durability suited him as well as or better than a peace, which could have only been secured at the price of humiliating and damaging concessions. In fact, the two powers, after violent oscillations to and fro, had reached a position of comparatively stable equilibrium. They had learnt their own limitations, and the strength of their adversaries. A stage was reached on the road to the more permanent settlement of Cateau-Cambresi. End of section 9.